Well, hello, everybody. Welcome once again to another midweek service right here at Kingdom Rock Family Worship Center. Tonight, we're going to get into part number four of the mini-series, well, might as well call it a series now, Hope in Desperate Times. This is part number four, and I've been waiting all week to get right back here with you. The Holy Spirit has been pouring out some mighty powerful word, and I'm grateful that you are here to join me in tonight's teaching. Awesome, we're gonna have a great time. Now, before we get started, if you're watching us by YouTube, go ahead and smash that like button. And if you're watching by way of Roku, well, hello, we're waving to you now. Hi, guys. Welcome, 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 welcome. If you're watching us by way of Periscope, click that button, or rather, um, yeah, touch the screen. Those hearts just go up, go up, go up. If you're listening to us by way of podcast, hello, friends. I'm so glad that you can hear us right now. Now, so you have a lot of ways that you can connect with us, but the most important way is just go to our website at www.kingdomrock.org. It's there that you can leave us your prayer request and your comments if you like, and you can give into the ministry. A little bit goes a long way. So why don't you give today? All right, let's go ahead and get started with tonight's Bible study. So we're going back into the book of Luke, going back into the book of Luke, the eighth chapter. And the last time we were here, uh, we, we noticed that Jairus is now on his way home with the Lord Jesus. Jesus had just healed um, the woman with an issue of blood. Remember that? Virtue has come out of him, and she understands that she is healed. Remember she said, if I may but just touch uh, his clothes, I shall be made whole. That happened, and she confesses it, and Jesus tells her daughter, you know, go in peace. You're whole. Everything is well. For more on that, go back to parts three, two, and one. But immediately following that miracle, we found that some from Jairus's house met Jesus and Jairus and said, Jairus, in simplest form, don't worry about it. Your daughter is dead. Remember that Jairus is here. He sought Jesus out because his daughter was at the point of death. And Jairus notices this miracle. This lady who has had this issue of blood for 12 years has now been healed and her faith skyrockets when he sees this miracle, I'm sure. But now he gets this news, your daughter is dead and basically there's nothing that Jesus can do about it. Well, as he's confronted with that news, Jesus answers. He answers Jairus and gives him two words and a promise. Or rather, we can say he gives them two commands and a promise. Remember those commands were. So let's pick up right at that point there, the two commands and the promise. And we talked about that last time. So I don't want, really want to go back over that because we finally we're going to get into Jairus's house. All right. It's taken us four, four parts to do it. So today we're going to get into Jairus's house. <laughs> Hallelujah. All right. So let's look at this. All right, let's look again, Luke 8, verse 50, and it says, But when Jesus heard it, he answered him, saying, Fear not, believe only, and she shall be made whole. There you have it, two commands and a promise, because the terms or the words, fear not, believe only, were written as commands, imperatives. So Jesus is telling him, not asking him, he's telling him, 
Jairus, fear not, but believe only. And your daughter is going to be made sozo is the Greek word there. She's going to be made well. She's going to be delivered from destruction. Well, obviously, Jairus follows the leading of the Lord. He is obedient to the word of Christ, and they continue on the journey. Now, uh, if that wasn't enough, the worst fight, if we can say, is still on the way. There's still something that we've got to get through in order to actually get to the little girl so that she can be healed. So let's talk about that as we go on down. Oh, this is wonderful. All right, so let's pick it up now. Officially, this is the start of part number four. Officially, here we go. Ready to dive in? Yeah, let's do it. All right, starting part four. This is how it reads. Uh, again, this is uh, verse 51 of Luke the eighth chapter. Now we're going to go into some other scriptures today as well. So just hang with us. We're going to get a good full meaning. Uh, of the scripture. But before we do it, let's go ahead and have a word of prayer. Okay, we need our helper. So, Heavenly Father, in Jesus' mighty name, we come before you tonight and we ask you uh, that you would empower us by your spirit, that you would lead us into all truth, that you would show us things to come. And we ask that your great Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, that you would teach us tonight. You're the teacher. You lead us into truth. And, and we ask you tonight to lead us in the Bible study that we may grow thereby. Open this word up, make it come alive in, uh, into our hearing and maybe good fertile seed in uh, our heart that it will bring forth uh, 100 fold. So tonight, Father, we ask that you'd have your way and we ask you as humbly, humbly as we know how. We love you in Jesus name, amen. All right, let's get into it. So verse 51, this is how it reads. And when he came into the house, when Jesus came into the house, he suffered to, or rather, he suffered no man to go in save Peter and James and John and the father and mother of the maiden. Now, again, let's go back for a little context here. Uh, let's go ahead and read verse 49 and go up to 51 just for a little context. It'll make me feel better. All right. So it says, while he yet spake, there cometh one from the rule of the synagogue's house, saying unto him, thy daughter is dead. Trouble not the master. Verse 50. But when Jesus heard it, he answered him, saying, fear not, believe only, and she shall be made whole. Verse 51. And when he had, or rather, and when he came into the house, he suffered no man to go in, save Peter and James, and John, and the father and mother of the maiden. Now, this leads us into a war zone, all right? Because we know that everybody at J.R.'s house, they're all laboring under the knowledge that this little girl is dead. Remember the news of her death came from someone that was in this house. Someone ran to Jairus with the news, your daughter is dead. It's too late. Leave Jesus alone. Why trouble him any longer? Why vex Jesus any longer? You know, he has, he's, he has a lot of things to do. Stop troubling him. You're getting on his nerves in so many words. 
So that news comes from this house. It comes from this atmosphere. It's a small sampling of what's waiting for them in this house. It's important that you understand that because we're going to go further. So now we're going into, as we would say, the belly of the beast, the belly of the beast. And this is how it says again. And when he came into the house, now notice who's the he? It is Jesus. Jesus came into the house first. Now, Who's with Jesus? We know it's Jesus and his disciples, of course, Jairus. And I'm sure those that came from Jairus's house that are with them and a whole multitude of people. There's a whole mob or crowd of people. I'm not sure how many they are, uh, but there's a lot of people uh, that want to see what Jesus is going to do. So they finally get to the house. The GPS, if you will, says you have arrived <laughs> at your destination. Jesus is the first one in the house. You would think Jairus is the first one, but the scripture says Jesus is the first in the house. Let's look at this. It says, and when he came into the house, he suffered no man to go in. He suffered no man to go in, say, Peter. James and John and the father and mother of the maiden. Now that's big. So in essence, Jesus became the bouncer. Hmm. <laughs> you know, he stood in the doorway. Everybody's outside. He comes in first and says, okay, I'm going to select who is going to be a part of this miracle from this crowd. I'm going to select Peter, James, John. Remember the Lord had 12 disciples. Peter, James, John, the other nine of you, stay outside. Uh, he picked them, and then, of course, Jairus, you got to come in, and the mother. Now, that tells you something there, doesn't it? The mother is now somehow outside the house. Hmm. Was she among them that came to Jesus? I don't know. But she's not with the daughter. She's outside the house. How do we know that she's outside the house? Because Jesus is choosing who goes in the house. So, I don't know. Maybe she heard the crowd and left her daughter's dead body and going to see what it's all about. And she's going to where Jairus is. And Jairus has brought Jesus to the house. And now they're all outside the house. I mean, this is, this is thrilling, okay? Let's get further. And it says, when he came into the house, talking about Jesus, he suffered no man to go in. Now, the word suffered there means to send away. It means uh, to bid go away. It means, it means to send away or depart. So let's say that Jesus sent the people away, gave them a gentle send off. Now, here's a life lesson in this. Here's a life lesson. All these people were with him from the boat, you know, or, or we can say from the dock when he got off the, when he, when he got off the, the ship, because the Bible says again, that they were glad to see him. So they were with him. They witnessed the, uh, this rule of the synagogue, Jairus kneeling before Jesus and worshiping him. They saw all of this and then they go, they go, of course, to the woman with the issue of blood. They heard that. They witnessed all of that. Wow. And then from there, 
Uh, they go down the street and then they hear the news from Jairus's house and they hear Jesus's reaction to it. And so they're all coming down to this house. But here again is a life lesson. Not everybody that starts with you will end with you. Not everybody that will witness great moves of God in your life or in your ministry are gonna witness this next move. Here's the thing. We think that people go, when people go away, that God has left us or that we've done something wrong. Maybe God is just thinning the crowd because the greatest miracles will happen in private. Oh my God, did you hear that? <laughs> that was almost a drive moment there. We, you can drive, I'm telling you. Sometimes the greatest miracles will happen in private, so God thins the crowd for the greater miracle, for the greater miracle. And here again, they were, we know there are two miracles here. The woman with the issue of blood, of course, that was a great miracle there. Of course it was. 12 years, she suffered with this disease. She suffered with this uh, bleeding for 12 years. But the second miracle was greater because the, because the little girl was dead. She was dead. So the first miracle took place in public, but the second miracle took place in private. So sometimes the Lord will send people away. Now, I want you to see this from, uh, from Jairus' perspective. He's the one who's asking God for a miracle. And he, has, he is the one who has prayed and the Lord has come into his house. He has the power of God present with him. And is, it is the presence of the Lord. It is the Lord himself that thins the crowd. Sometimes we think the more people we got with us, the better. Oh, they can help me pray. You know, the more, the better. But Jesus decides before they even go in the house, it's time to thin the crowd. All right. He's, he's sending away the onlookers and he's taking those in the house who, uh, who he wants to be there, who, who will be instrumental in receiving this miracle. This is wonderful. So again, don't be upset if people walk away. It's all right, because I believe the Lord is setting you up for something even greater. Bigger things sometimes happen in smaller places. Big things can happen in small places, in small numbers. So take heart, take heart, my friend, take heart. So again, uh, only Jesus came into the house. Uh, so he became, as we said, he became the bouncer. Uh, you know, let's say it this way. He became the bouncer of the boom. <laughs> An explosion was about to take place. He became the guard, uh, let's say the guard of the grand. Yes, something grand was about to happen. Or we can say hmm, he was the pruner um, he was the pruner of the power. Okay, well, you know, he decided who was going to go in. He, he did, so that's powerful. So from Jairus' perspective, he gets this news, and then the one that he's bringing home with him begins to thin out the crowd. All right, so they get into the house. Jesus comes in first, and then he chooses people to go in with him. Now, look at verse 52. 52 has so much power in it. Now, we're going to be switching over to the book of Mark in just a minute. 
to because Mark brings us a little bit more information as to what's happening once they get once they all get into the house. So who's getting in the house now? We have record here. Uh, we have Jesus. We have um, Peter, James, and John. We have Jairus, and we also have his wife. All right. So I believe that's right. There are six people now entering into the house. Okay. Uh, so all right. So and he puts everybody else out. Six, of course, is the number of man, and God's about to do a miracle here. Because actually, when they go up to the little daughter, she becomes the seventh. Does that make sense? All right. And uh, seven, of course, number of completion, number of perfection. Something wonderful is going to happen. All right. So let's look on. Verse 52 says, and all wept and wailed her. So that's the scene. They're all crying. They all wept and wailed her. But he said, weep not. She is not dead, but sleepeth. All right. Verse 53. And they laughed him to scorn, knowing that she was dead, knowing that she was dead. All right. Now let's switch over to the book of Mark. Mark five, verse 38. And this is how it reads. And he cometh to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and seeth the torment. And them that wept and wailed greatly. And when he was come in, he said unto them, Why make ye this ado and weep? The damsel is not dead, but sleepeth. Verse 40, And they laughed him to scorn. But when he had put them all out, he taketh the father and the mother of the damsel and them that were with him and entereth in where the damsel was lying. All right. So both Matthew and Mark um, tells about this encounter when Jesus enters into, not Matthew and Mark, but Luke and Mark tells about this encounter when Jesus enters into the house. So let's focus on here just for a moment. Notice it says again, let's go back. Verse 52, and all wept and bewailed her, but he said, weep not, she is not dead, but sleepeth. He says this in Luke, and he also says this in Mark, and the reaction is the same. They begin to laugh him to scorn. Laughing to scorn means they're making fun, they're making fun of him, right? They're trying to put him to shame for what? For simply believing what he knows to be true. They're laughing at him, and really, to laugh to scorn, they're really punishing him. They're punishing him for what he believes, punishing him for what he said. So they're mourning, they're, mour they're mourners, and their mourning has turned to bitter laughter. They're accusing, they're, in their laughter, they're trying to humiliate Jesus for what he believes. Does that happen today? Oh, absolutely. People do it all the time trying to humiliate you, trying to punish you for believing what you believe. Now, what did Jesus believe? He believed that the little girl was going to rise again. He said, she sleeps. They said, she's dead. Their thoughts were public opinion, were general knowledge. Everybody knows she is dead. 
But Jesus is the one who believes differently. And because he believed differently, they punished him for his belief. Laughter and humiliation is a powerful weapon to make you stop doing what God has called you to do. Maybe we need to start right there tonight. I'm telling you, you ready? Don't allow the humiliation of people, their laughter, their tauntings, their criticisms, their wicked so-called advice or their backhanded, uh, we can say their, 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 their backhanded um, kind words. Uh, don't, don't allow that to derail your faith in what Jesus has called you to do. People will always say something. They'll always do something when they fear something greater. Now, their laughter, their mourning, again, uh, they're doing their best to punish Jesus for believing what he believes. If you say, well, I'm going to save myself until I get married. I'm not going to have premarital sex. I'm going to save myself until I get married. I'm going to stay a virgin. Don't you know people are going to, they're going to laugh. They're going to laugh. Why? Because you said something funny? No, because you're standing on the word of God. You're standing on the word of God. And let me tell you, anytime you stand on the word of God in this fallen world, you're going to come upon some criticism. You're going to come upon accusations and all of this stuff, but you cannot allow them to derail your faith. Now, other things are happening here. My God, I can't wait for you to get them all. So let's go further on down. Are you getting anything out of this tonight? I am. I'm telling you, because even when I was coming up, you know what? Uh, I had a stammer and a stutter and I did. I was different. I was different. And in school, stuttering and stammering, when it came time for a class project to stand before a group, to stand before the class, my God, I think I would have rather a, a broken leg than to stand up in front of them. I was so scared. I was so terrified. And so I began to stammer and stutter. And what did, the what did my classmates do? Oh, you guessed it. What did the children do? They laughed at me and humiliated me. And what did that humiliation make me want to do? Did it make me want to speak in front of a group again? No. It was a tactic of the enemy to cause me to shut it down. And I kept hearing those words. You don't have anything to say that anybody wants to hear. So be quiet. What you have to say is not good enough. So be hmm. quiet. Be quiet. Don't say anything. Don't you know God had to deliver me from that? And there are some of you watching me tonight that God has to deliver you from that fear, from this people bondage, from this atmosphere. He has to deliver you from it. And we're going to take the advice of Jesus to see what Jesus does about these people that are trying to punish him, that are trying to humiliate, trying to humiliate him by laughter. Laughter can be a good thing. But when they're pointing at you and laughing at you, it doesn't feel good at all. But it takes the character, the strength and character of the Lord for you to remain faithful and strong and continue. Because when you do, you will unleash the very power and presence of God that will not only save your life, but it will save so many others. Bring, it will bring healing to your life 
but, and also bring healing to others. If you would have told me that I would spend the rest of my life in front of other people in the church, I would have laughed at you. If you would have told me that I would be sitting in front of a camera uh, saying words publicly, I would have thought you were bonkers, cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. I would have thought something was wrong with you. I would have said, there's no way I'm going to stand in front of anybody to say any words. There's no way I'm going to do it. No, you're crazy. But here I am declaring what thus saith the Lord. So I've learned from that, and I want you to see this as well. I've learned the enemy will always attack you in the area of your greatest strengths. Oh. He'll always attack you in the area of your greatest strengths because his desire here with Jesus was to get him to shut down because the people were saying in their actions, oh, Jesus, you're so foolish. She's dead. You're an idiot. Everybody knows she's dead. You're an idiot. Be quiet. That's what they were saying. Be quiet. Get out of here. Jairus, who did you bring home? You brought home a fool. Get out of here. That's what they were saying as they were humiliating him. They were laughing him to scorn, making fun of him. But what did Jesus do? Oh, this is powerful. This is powerful. It says here in verse, uh, verse 38 again, he says, and, and he cometh. Now, this is again, and we're going back into Mark, Mark 5. And he cometh to that, cometh to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and seeth the tumult, and them that wept and wept bitterly. And when he was come in, he said unto them, Why make ye this ado and weep? The damsel is not dead, but sleepeth. And they laughed him to scorn. And listen, and when he had put them all out. All right, we're going to get to that part when he had put them all out. But before we do that, I want you to see something as well. Jesus's faith statement here is so incredibly powerful because it, it actually works on what I call, it works on the dove principle, the dove principle, and we'll get to that. His faith, he's sending his faith out in the room. He's sending his faith out in the atmosphere to see if there was any agreement. Is there any agreement in the atmosphere, any agreement in the house? Now, remember, he put people out already, or rather he didn't let a lot of people come in. How many people? I don't know, 20, 30, 50, 80? I don't know. But I know that only Jesus got in, Jairus and his wife, or Jairus and the mother of the daughter, uh, we're assuming it's his wife, and Peter, James, and John, right? Only they got in uh, from the whole crowd that was thronging him. Woman with the issue of blood didn't even get in, right? So they all, but I'm sure Jesus told her, you know, your faith has made you whole, go in peace. So she's already gone back to her, her life. But those didn't get in. So that's the first cut. Now he's in the building, in Jairus' house, with a whole lot of people, and he releases a word of faith. He releases the dove, and the dove could not find any rest. He releases the word, releases the faith, and he could not find any rest, so he put uh, the people out. There was no divine echo coming back in the house. Now, let me tell you about this dove principle because it comes there, and some of you already know it, comes from the book of Genesis as Noah was in the ark and uh, he needed to know uh, had the flood waters receded, 
Let's see what he does here with the Dove and the Raven. So let's look at that for a moment. So here we are in, let's see this, in Genesis the, Genesis the eighth chapter. Let's read verse six through 12. Might as well get the, get the entire context of it, context. Genesis eight, verses six through 12, and it reads like this. After 40 days, Noah opened a window he had made in the ark and sent out a raven, and it kept flying back and forth until the waters had dried up from the earth. Then he sent out a dove to see if the water had receded from the surface of the ground. But the dove could find nowhere to perch or nowhere to rest because there was water over all the surface of the earth. So it returned to Noah in the ark. Watch this. He reached out his hand and took the dove and brought it back to himself in the ark. Did you see that? He sent the dove out to see if it found a place of rest. When it did not find a place of rest, he stretched his hand out, reached out for it, and it came back and he pulled it into himself in the ark. That's powerfully descriptive. He waited seven more days and again sent out the dove from the ark. When the dove returned to him in the evening, uh, there in its beak was a freshly plucked olive leaf. Then Noah knew that the water had receded from the earth. He waited seven more days and sent out the dove, rather, and sent the dove out again. But this time, it did not return to him. The dove principle. You see that? So when Jesus was in the house, he immediately sends out, uh, I guess you would say kind of like a bat too. You know how bats have the sonogram? Not calling the Lord Jesus a bat, you understand, but how they send out the sound and that echolocation, yeah, how it bounces off the walls and comes back. Well, Jesus sends out his faith uh, in the house, sends out his faith in the house. Can it find agreement? Can his faith find anywhere to rest? And when it could not, instead of him going out, he sends them out. Now, this same thing you'll also find here in the New Testament. Once you see this in Luke, the 10th chapter, as the Lord Jesus sends the disciples out uh, to evangelize the community, he sends them out two by two and he gives them instructions. You know, don't take purse, don't take an extra this, extra that. And then he tells them when you go into someone's house, this is where we're going to pick up on here in Luke 10, verse number five and six. And it says, and into whatsoever house she enter, first say, you see this? When you enter into a house, first say, first say what? Peace be to this house. Release it. Release the dove. When you enter to the house, first say, peace be unto this house. And if the son of peace be there, or if a person of peace be there, your peace shall rest upon it. Somebody's getting very excited right now. Your peace shall rest upon it. If not, it shall turn to you again. 
I mean, how, how, how much playing can we get? Get it here, you know? So he says, when you go in, release your peace. And what is the symbol of peace? What is the international symbol of peace? Somebody already knows. That's exactly right. The dove. The dove with the olive leaf in its mouth. Dove is a symbol of peace. I'm not making this stuff up. So here's the dove principle. When Jesus enters into the house, he releases the dove. And of course, double the dove, the dove symbolizes the Holy Spirit. He releases the spirit. He releases the word in the atmosphere. What kind of reaction is it going to have among the people? Is faith going to come alive in the people? Do they have a heart of faith? And what happens? The dove found no place to rest. His words of faith found no place to rest. So Jesus takes it back into himself and sends the rest out of the house. There's nothing in this crowd. There's no one in this crowd that has enough faith to accompany him and the five, rather, yeah, him and the five up to the seventh. Does that make sense? So he puts them all out. Now, the phrase, let's go back, back to verse number 40. Then they laughed him to scorn, but when he had put them all out. Now, the phrase put them all out means to drive out, to drive out, uh, to cast out. Now, that sounds a bit more violent, doesn't it? Remember the first group of people uh, at the door, he sent them away. He sent them away. But here he's driving people. <laughs> he's driving people out. He's casting them out. Bing, bing, bing. Another life lesson here. Are you ready for this one? Another life lesson. What's a life lesson? Glad you asked. Do you think that as Jesus is casting the people out, do you think that A, he hates their guts? No. Do you, is it B, life lesson B there. Uh, do you think that Jesus at this moment is frustrated with this people? No, because if he's frustrated with them or angry with them or hostile toward them, then they're in control of him. Their feelings and their actions have now controlled his mood and his action. And that's a bad, bad thing when you're carrying that kind of power. So no, they're not influencing him. So what do we say here? Or does, how does Jesus feel about him? Does he see, does Jesus love them deeply? Bing, 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 high five. That's right, he loves them deeply. All right, here's a lesson. Even though Jesus loved them, he still cast them out. He still drove them out. His love for them and feelings for them did not, uh, did not rule over what he had to do. He cast them out because they weren't ready. They weren't ready or they weren't prepared for what he was about to do in that environment. Just because you love somebody and that's a wonderful thing, just because you're good friends with them and that's a wonderful thing, does not mean that they're going to go where you're going. Sometimes there, come, there comes a time of separation. And this is the second time of separation um, that... Uh, that they've witnessed here once at the door and now other in the house before they can go to this greater miracle. Or we can say this is the second purging. 
Some organizations, you say, well, you know, we had a lot of people, then they all went away, but we still had this core group, and now they went away. Oh, so who's left now? Only the ones that Jesus has chosen. Now, that's big, isn't it? Only the ones that Jesus has chosen is left. He tried to give the other ones, I believe those in the house, a chance by sending out a word of faith. Can this word find rest? And it found no rest on anyone. As a matter of fact, their laughter, they're laughing at him, making fun of, fun of him, that actually confronted him. You know, they were coming against him. And so Jesus dealt with them and he drove them all out. Interesting, isn't it? All right, so let's look further on down. It says, verse, verse, verse 40 again, and he, and rather, and they laughed him to scorn, but when he had put them all out, I love that word, all, all, he put them all out, he taketh the father and the mother of the damsel and them that were with him and entereth in where the damsel was lying. All right. First, they're outside. Second, they're going in the house. Right. Third, they're going into where the damsel is. Now, that's interesting, too, because even in the order of the tabernacle, there's the outer court, the inner court, the holy place or the holies of holies. So the true power is going to be presented here in the most holy place. Can you see that? The true power is going to be presented not in the outer court or the inner court where everybody was or, or even outside, but it happens there in the back. It, it, it happens there where there's a smaller space. Now, you think about this, too. Oh, this is so thrilling, because if you look at this uh, after the order of the temple again, the outer court is where everybody were. That was a larger space. And surely that was the case here when Jesus stopped the people at the door. That was the outer court. Coming inside, the space gets a little bit um, smaller. Of course, you, as you know, that you talk about the temple uh, in the, the middle area there or the inner court. That's where they had the showbread. You know, they had the, the, the golden lampstand and, and they all that was right there in the inner court. But then in the most holy place, that's where the Ark of the Covenant was, representing the presence of God. So they had to go in from step by step by step. Every step they went in, the rooms got smaller and smaller and smaller. Even into the temple, uh, the only, there was only room for one, and that was the high priest. All right, but with Jesus, he brings, uh, he brings uh, the disciples and the, the, rather Peter, James, John, and the mother and father of the daughter brings them into this place, into the smallest room. All of them couldn't go in there anyway, but he brings them there. And when they are there in the smallest room, then we're going to see the miracle. Now, we're about closing out here. This is exciting. So when he puts them all out in verse 40, he puts them all out. And then it says, and entered in where the, where the damsel was lying. So there we have it. We're finally here in this place, and now here's a miracle. But I want you to understand the greatest attack because we're going to be confronted with this as we're closing. Now, there's going to have to be some things because you're believing God for, a miracle, for miracles in your life. We're all believing the Lord for something very special, but not everybody is going to enjoy this miracle with you. 
There are some, in some cases, God wants you to enjoy the blessing, but not the others around you because he knows that you can handle it, but they may not be able to. Let's look at that in terms of money or finances. You can handle great money. You've been faithful with your finances, but if you put great money in the hands of someone else, uh, let's say they have some sort of addiction, some form of habit or something, they're either going to blow through it or they're going to kill themselves. There are some blessings, some blessings that are designed strictly for you at that moment. And the Lord may thin the crowd out so you can receive it. But if you hold on to some that Jesus is saying, go away, if you hold on to them, well, then you are slowing down your own miracle. Not because he doesn't love them. He loves them. And he knows that the right thing at the wrong time can be deadly. The right thing at the wrong time can be deadly. So watch out for that. If the Lord is releasing them from your presence, then you have to bid them adieu. You have to bid them adieu. That doesn't mean that they won't come back into your presence, but that means at least for a season, sometimes there comes a time of separation before the greater can be released. Make sense? All right. So let's look at these. I want to show you these five things, and then we're going to close out with this. Preparing for your miracle. I'm going to go, go over these really quickly. This is how you're going to prepare for your, from, for your miracle from the context of Scripture that we just read. Number one, declare what you believe, then stand on it. Declare what you believe and then stand on it. Those who believe with you, you'll see agreement. All right, you'll see the agreement. Uh, number two, separate from all those faith killers in your life. Separate from your faith killers, right? If, if it's not possible that they depart, then you may have to depart. If it's not possible that either of you depart, then that means that you're going to have to separate yourselves from their words. Don't let their words get in your heart and really subdue your faith. Make sense? Number three, feed your faith on the word of God. Feed your faith and starve your doubts to death. All right. Number four, surround yourself with those who believe what you do. Surround yourself with those who have something to gain because you have received this miracle. All right. Surround yourself with those. And number five, don't look for revenge. Don't look for revenge. That's God's job because we have we have a tendency after people have laughed us to scorn and talked about us like a dog and criticized us. We have we have this thing of getting back at them and really flaunting the blessing in their face. You don't have to do that. You don't have to do that because the Lord already has things set in motion. He prepares a table before you in the presence of your enemies. The, the work of God, the plan of God already has that covered. You can keep your heart clean and just enjoy the blessing. Make sense? All right, let's, let's finish out here. Once you see this, this is so powerful. So look at this in, let's look at verse 41. So when Jesus is in the room now, he takes the little girl by the hand and he says in verse 41, and he took the damsel by the hand and said unto her, Talitha Kumi, which is being interpreted, damsel, I say unto thee, arise. And straightway the damsel arose and walked, for she was of the age of 12 years. 
and they were astonished with great astonishment. I love the way that Luke, going back to Luke, Luke 8, 55 says, and her spirit came again and she arose and he commanded to give her meat. Isn't that powerful? So she was, uh, if her spirit has gone out of her, she's definitely dead uh, in, the, in our eyes. But Jesus said she's asleep. In other words, her death is temporary. I'm going to go wake her up, just like he did with Lazarus, right? He told the disciples she's asleep. Same thing, isn't it? That's powerful, right? So the little girl gets up. I'm sure mommy and daddy, oh my God, can you imagine their faces? Can you imagine this? Their daughter's dead. Mom, I'm sure, saw her daughter die. And now Jesus has come in the house, and Jairus has brought Jesus there, and the daughter's raised to life, so excited. And then Jesus gives them a command, and we're going to stop here. All right. It says in verse number 43, the Lord says, And he charged them strictly that no man should know it, and commanded that something should be given her to eat. He charged them, don't tell anybody. I think they're all going to know it after a while, right? When they see the little girl at school the next day, she's 12. When they see Jairus in, in the marketplace and, they, and mom, mom and daughter walking around, I think they're going to know that something happened. Jesus says, don't tell them. Let them see it. I love that. We need a whole lot more of that in our society today. We run a lot. We run our mouths an awful lot. And I know a lot of people that say, oh, that say, you know, Jesus, 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 Jesus. But you don't see any fruit in their lives. There comes a time that you can keep the mouth shut and let them see it through your life. And this is how I believe we're going to end this with this saying. And it says, let your faith speak so loud that people won't be able to hear a word that you're saying. Does that make sense? Yeah. When your faith speaks so loud, they can't help. Uh, I mean, they, 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 it won't matter what you're saying because they can, they can see it. Let your life shine. That's all I'm really trying to say. Let your life be a witness. Let them see the fruit of your life and not always flapping of, the gall, uh, of, the, of your mouth. Yeah, yeah. Not always flapping of the mouth. Let them see it. Let them see Christ live out in you. Sometimes, of course, it is needful for you to speak a word. But other times, just people seeing it will amaze them enough that they will give their lives to him. Glory to God. Whew. Well, I hope that you have enjoyed tonight's message. I have, as we have concluded the message entitled Hope in Desperate Times. This has been part number four, and I'm grateful that you were here. Before we go, let's have a word of prayer. All right, let's do it. Heavenly Father, I pray for my friend that is right now joining us. Lord, I pray that you would heal them, that you would deliver them, that you would make them whole. Father, I pray that in their time of desperation, that they would see Christ. And in the moment, Lord God, in that moment when they're about to give up, when they've just heard the terrible news, Father, I pray even at that moment that their faith would come alive and that they would receive that 
a brand new burst of hope, brand new burst of faith in the midst of the trial. And they would go the distance with you. Father, I pray in that moment that they will not be weak nor weary, nor weary, but they will be strengthened, strengthened in their conviction, knowing that you are there. Lord, I pray for them tonight. And I pray, Lord God, that if they don't know you as the Lord and Savior of your life, that your beloved will receive you tonight. Lord, we thank you and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, you've made it to the end of another Bible study. Don't forget to go to our website at www.kingdomrock.org. It's there that you can get this message and so much more. You can connect to us on our podcast. Just go to our website and you can find the links there. Subscribe to this YouTube channel if you haven't already done it and smash the like button here on YouTube uh, if you haven't done that. If you're watching us by way of Roku, make sure you give our channel a five-star rating. We would so appreciate that so much. However you can connect with us, make sure you connect. We would love to meet you and to hear from you. All right, well, until next time, remember that Jesus loves you and we love you too. And uh, choose him as your Lord today. Only he can make a way. The next time we meet, we're going to have something very special. So I can't wait. I'll see you then. Love you. See you next time.